G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au Realfaith.org.au She's 13, but when I met her, she was in grade one at our school. And I said to her, why are you only in grade one? She's obviously a very bright girl. She said, well, for the first 12 years of my life, we didn't know there was a deaf school. And she said, so I've only been here at school one year. She said, since being at the school, I've learned how to sign. I've made friends. I've found a community that understands me and that I can be a part of. And I found faith in Christ. Welcome to Real Faith. Conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through. Helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Well, last time on the program, Bill Muir told us her and her husband Neville's story and how they began Deaf Ministry International, or DMI. Today, we have two guests from DMI to tell us more of the DMI story. Joining us first is Rhonda Stockbridge, who has been involved with DMI for several years and worked alongside Neville back in 1969. She's sharing a bit of her story and why she's so passionate about ministering to deaf people. Rhonda Stockbridge, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you with us. And where are you joining us from today? I'm in Perth, Western Australia. Glad to have you with us. And we want to find out a little bit about your background and why you're so passionate about ministering to deaf people. Uh, Well, I was actually raised in country Victoria Mm -hmm. and thought that God wanted me as a missionary to teach children in New Guinea when I was 14. Mm -hmm. And I had that passion right through until Bible college. I wasn't much of a teacher, but I did do teaching uh-huh. uh, for a while, but my voice was too loud and I was too kind to the kids. So I wasn't a good Your pastor. voice was too loud? Yes, yes. a loud teacher, noisy classes was saying, and it, uh, it was true. However, I needed that experience uh, of teaching for four years to learn some of my weaknesses in working with children. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Bible college, instead of taking, well, it was during Bible college, God took my eyes off New Guinea and onto himself. Mm. And uh, from there, he took me to train at a place called the Institute of Social Welfare, which probably doesn't exist anymore and didn't for long. It was to train people to work with children in the old orphanages, mm-hmm. which I knew nothing about. But being one of the older ones of nine children, I knew a bit about children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The training was full-time. It was excellent, Eric, and mm-hmm. where so often these poor children were treated like criminals, as if they were wicked, um, they were rejected, unwanted, unloved, and abused children. Uh, when I finished there, I was actually told about a position at the school for, Victorian School for Deaf Children mm-hmm. in Melbourne. They were needing a house mother for the junior boys, and I thought... If they want me for only two years, I'd be willing to go. Um, I don't know why two years, but that was what I felt. And when I had the interview with the matron, she said, we've had a lot of staff turnover. 
you're too young to be on this job for too long, but if you can give us two years, that would be good. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was God's confirmation um, that I was taking on the right position at that time. Um, I was all of 27, I think, so (laughs) I wasn't all that old, but nevertheless, I all of that young for that matter. Uh, Well, I became house mother at the School for Deaf Children in Melbourne at the boarding section, and that's where I met Neville. He was a teacher at the time at the school, but he was also a housemaster. I was in charge of the junior boys. He looked after the intermediate boys, and then we had a married couple looking after the senior boys. Mm-hmm. And so Neville and I worked together a lot, uh, lunchtime, uh, some recesses, two Saturdays in four we were on duty together. I learned a lot of my science from Neville, even though uh, we had classes for the uh, childcare staff. Nevertheless, Neville talked all the time with his hands. So if he gave me a sign to tell me something and I didn't understand it, I'd ask him what it was. I learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. So that was where I got involved with deaf children. And as someone said to me, you get hooked on the deaf. By the end of my second year, and I was only there two years, I could actually look the children in the eye and read what they were telling me on their hands. Mm. I felt I'd arrived. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. But I was with them six days a week. Oh, mm. No, no, sorry, five days a week it was. Uh, then three, four years later, I had a reason for coming to Western Australia. And then in time, I came to Perth and someone found out, I know who, I have no idea how, he found out that I had a connection with deaf people and invited me to the Deaf Christian Fellowship in Perth, which I went along to, and it used to meet Sunday afternoons. Uh, I found out fairly quickly, no, no, before that, I was asked to take on the interpreting of the messages. Mm -hmm. Well, I hadn't been trained to interpret, I thought I couldn't, but the person who asked me said, well, God knows how, you obey him. Hmm. Well, I, I found that it was a wonderful opportunity for me because I tend to have a scatty brain. I can be thinking of 10,000 things instead of listening to the speaker. When you're interpreting, you have to be totally concentrating on what's being said. Oh, yeah. So that you can interpret into into words that deaf people will understand because their language, their vocab is much more limited than ours. Uh, So I found that that was just the ideal thing for me. And in time, I've realized the deaf people... Not a big group, but a group of them who used to come to the Deaf Christian Fellowship had no other Bible teaching, no other fellowship apart from that Sunday afternoon. So I invited them along to church and to camps and to Keswick and all sorts of things. And I felt that was very valuable for them as well as for the hearing world because I have heard the Deaf referred to as many other missionaries, missions have stated they're dealing with the forgotten people. I don't think deaf people are forgotten. I think they're just not even thought of, mm. really. Yeah. Uh, though now we have Auslan a lot more visible on the TV, and so more people are aware, uh, but still not aware of the fact that they are really an isolated group unless people learn to communicate with them. And uh, I found at church, at first they were looked at as, well, you know, something very strange because they made noises and they used their hands. But after a time, people got to know not only, oh, that's the deaf group, but individuals. They'd give them a smile and a wave and knew who they were. And they became part of a bigger Christian world, which I felt was very valuable for them. Yeah. So that's kind of how God tugged your heart toward getting involved in ministry to deaf people. Yes. And then 
How did you get involved with the ministry, Deaf Ministry International? Uh, well, Neville and I uh, are both were both uh, correspondents. We loved letter writing, mm-hmm. and we got on like a brother and sister. We were good friends. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to the West, uh, I'd you know, write to him as well as all my other friends. I found I needed people to pray for me, and you better pray about this, that, and the other, because I, by now I was working in a children's home, not deaf children, but nevertheless a children's home, which mm-hmm. is quite a challenge. And so we corresponded, so I sort of followed his life and his adventures in Japan, career, etc., while he followed mine. So when he was over here last, now during my time here, I did get married a bit later in life, and my husband and I had some other adventures that had nothing to do with DMI, uh, but... We were in a couple of places where Neville wrote and said, we're coming over, can you arrange some meetings for us? Yes, we did, and uh, Lil and their youngest son Ian often came as well. Uh, But the last time he was here, which would have been about a year before he died, uh, just before we took him to the airport, he said, we need someone to represent DMI in WA, and he gave me the look, (laughs) which I believe he has given to many people. (laughs) And so I said... You think we can do it? And he gave a big smile. So I talked to my husband and he said, yes, we can do it. And so we've got back into the deaf world. We've reconnected with deaf people. Um, I've actually even been asked to go on a roster at a church for some deaf folk. And I'm pre-Auslan. I'm signed English. And most of the signs in Auslan are the same, but I knew a lot more putting proper sentences together and things like that, which... Auslan doesn't really do. What, what is Auslan? Oh, Auslan is the official sign language for deaf people in Australia. Mm-hmm. So it's spelled A-U-S-L-A-N. Okay. And if you ever see the TV and news item and you see the politician with a person signing beside them, they would be using Auslan. Oh, okay. Prior to that, different states had their own signs. Oh. And... And so some would be same and some would be different. So having this, and while I still understand that different ones have their own vernacular, as it were, basically they can all understand each other within Australia. Mm -hmm. Now, I was going to ask you what are some of the unique challenges to ministering to deaf people, but I think you've already kind of answered that. I mean, knowing the, the right sign language. Yes, I know one of the things that, really challenged me first. When I first got involved with deaf children, I just assumed that because they couldn't hear, they would therefore read. Now, and that in spite of the fact that I had been a trained teacher and one of the few things I remembered about my teacher training that I learned was that we, uh, hearing children, start school with a reasonably large vocabulary, a few hundred words that we knew how to say, we knew how to use them, we knew how to put sentences together. At school, we simply had to learn to read and write them Mm -hmm. and build on the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But the deaf child didn't have that advantage. So many of them started school with no vocabulary at all, no Mm -hmm. nothing. Um, I think things have changed somewhat now, and I think there's a lot more in place to help parents get started. Okay. And finally, what has been the most rewarding part of ministering to deaf people? Look, i found that deaf people seem to be, generally speaking, very grateful for anyone who will bother to take time to spend with them and to get to know them and to communicate with them, to share their stories as well as our own. So they really respond.
which is why they are such a target area for so many negative groups. And that's why my burden is that we have people here reach out to them to share with them the good news of Jesus. Rhonda Stockbridge, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story with us today. Thank you, Eric. Our first guest today was Rhonda Stockbridge, who, as we heard, has been ministering to deaf people for several years. Next, our guest will be Andrew Miller, who is the International Operations Coordinator for Deaf Ministries International. And he has some amazing stories to share about lives that have been changed by this ministry. That's all coming up when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today we're focusing on a special ministry to deaf people in developing countries called Deaf Ministry International, or DMI. Our next guest is Andrew Miller, who's the International Operations Coordinator for DMI. He's sharing a bit of his story. Andrew Miller, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. And where are you joining us from today? I'm based in Sydney, but today I'm actually down in Melbourne. Okay, kind of hard to keep track of where you are these days, but as I understand it, the office is in Melbourne, but you're based in Sydney regularly, is that right? That's right, yes. Okay, well, wherever you are, we're so thankful that you are with us today to share a bit about your story. Where did it all begin for you? Well, I'm born and raised in Sydney, uh, but I moved with my wife. My wife's Japanese. We moved to Japan uh, and lived there for 25 years, ministering Mm -hmm. uh, in an international church. There, I pastored the church for the last 12 years that we were there. Oh, okay. Uh, and then came back to Australia two years ago, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and began to minister amongst the deaf. And how were you led by the Lord to minister to deaf people? Well, that was really through Neville, um, mm-hmm. Neville Muir. Um, we first met him uh, the first year that we were living in Japan. We were going to the same church in Osaka. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed with the work that he was doing, and he introduced us to some of the the deaf people, not in person, but introduced us, um, telling us about the plight of the deaf in developing countries. And we were very moved by that and began to sponsor children and get more involved with the deaf that way. Now, for somebody who doesn't know anything about ministering to deaf people, tell us a little bit about what Neville shared with you. What is the plight of deaf people in developing countries? I think the first thing to understand is the plight of the deaf in developing countries is is remarkably different from that of the deaf in developed countries. In Australia and other developed countries, there's plenty of of government support Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where uh, a number of deaf people have contacted me from developed countries and said, would you please stop using the word struggle when you're talking about the deaf struggling, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to cope. And we have a very friendly conversation, uh, me saying, well, that's the truth in, in developed countries. But in developing countries, the deaf get no support 
from the government. They get mm. very little, if any, education. They have very few opportunities for meaningful employment and very few opportunities to receive ministry, to hear the word. And that's something that, that there's a huge void there that um, the deaf ministries have stepped into. And I was very impressed and moved listening to the plight of the deaf in developing countries and wanted to be a part of, of reaching them. Okay, so you met Neville. Tell us the steps that happened that led you to be a part of Deaf Ministries International. Well, as I mentioned, I, I began sponsoring children with them, and, and that was sort of my involvement for a number of years. My children, as they were growing up, also began to, to sponsor children through DMI. But then uh, when I began to pastor the church in Japan, Neville came and spoke at our church, and once again, we were so impressed with him, and we were so impressed with the work that he was doing, that DMI became our primary area of giving, and our church became much more involved and interested in supporting the deaf in developing countries. And several years after that, I was asked to join the Japan board of DMI, Mm -hmm. and that's where I really became more involved in the whole operation and how we minister to the deaf in those countries. Well, tell us, what is DMI? What is it all about? Deaf Ministries International is an organization, a Christian organization, that takes the gospel, education, and employment to the deaf in developing countries and all around the world. And we work to build churches, this is how we do it, build churches Mm -hmm. primarily. Uh, We build schools, and we arrange employment opportunities for the deaf to live full lives as much as possible. And have you seen lives changed by the ministry? Time after time, we've seen lives change. Now, I remember when Neville came and spoke at our church, and I grabbed him afterwards and I said, Neville, these stories of lives changing, who's writing them down? Mm. And he, in his casual way, said, oh, no, it is. It's just all, you know, all in my memory. And I said, well, Neville, can I start to write a blog for you? And he said, oh, sure, no problem. So I began to write a blog to record all these stories, not from Neville, actually. I then began to travel with Neville, Mm -hmm. and we visited a number of countries, and I interviewed uh, a lot of the students and staff, and I recorded their stories, and I was so moved by... It wasn't just one or two amazing stories. Those amazing stories were the norm, Mm -hmm. uh, I found, as I I spoke with student after student and and staff after staff member. Mm. Well, we want to hear some of those amazing stories, but I think it's only appropriate that we start with the very first person that Neville became involved with. We heard last time that he began to sponsor a deaf child in South Korea, I believe it was, and that's That's kind of how it all started. Tell us the story of that child from South Korea. Well, Neville began to sponsor him just through World Vision, Mm -hmm. not really thinking anything more than he wanted to sponsor a child. Uh, I even think it was I think it was coincidence that the child was deaf, but Neville became very attached to to this boy, and in time he. I noticed went, you're not using his name. <laughs> I can't remember it. I'm sorry. I said I would write it down. Deshaun, I think it was. What in Yon was it? I, I think we're we're struggling here, but a, a young boy in South Korea will go with. <laughs> okay. um, and Neville, in time, became a missionary to the deaf in Korea, Mm -hmm. and in a few short years, he established 13 churches for the deaf in South Korea. And again, in time, one of the pastors of those churches would be that boy who's now grown and continues to pastor a church in in Korea. 
Wow. So what a fantastic success story. He starts off right from the be- very beginning, being in this relationship with Neville, and then becomes a Christian, and then goes on to be a pastor, and is still a pastor to this day of one of those churches. Is that right? That's right. It's a wonderful story, yeah. Do you have some more stories for us? Oh, absolutely. You stop me when, when I've, you've heard enough. <laughs> okay, go uh, for it. Let me tell you about Kan Lun. Kan Lun is, well, she was 13 when I met her. She's Burmese, so this is in Myanmar, formerly Burma. Mm-hmm. And she's 13, but when I met her, she was in grade one at our school. And mm-hmm. I said to her, why are you only in grade one? She's obviously a very bright girl. Uh, why are you in grade one? She said, well, for the first 12 years of my life, we didn't know there was a deaf school. She was living a fair way away. Most of our schools have dormitories for this reason. Mm-hmm. And she said, so I've, I've only been here at school one year. And she said, the thing is, before coming to the school, I had no education. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to make friends. I had no hope for my life. I was miserable and I was depressed. Mm-hmm. She said, since being at the school, I've learned how to sign. I've learned how to learn. I've made friends, I've found a community that understands me and that I can be a part of, and I've found faith in Christ. So all of these things, this extraordinary transformation. And she said, you know what, here's the thing. She said, before coming to the school, I hated being deaf. Hmm. She said, now I'm in this community, I love being deaf. And that really surprised me. But I, I didn't take it at face value. I said to her, so you mean to tell me that if, if there was a, a cure, you know, miracle cure, a medical cure for your deafness, you wouldn't want it? Mm. And she said, no, no, I don't want it because if I became hearing, I'd have to leave this community mm. and this, this, this world here. And this means everything to me. So it was at that point that I realized very clearly how much her need for love far exceeds her need to hear. Mm. And she went on to impress me so much. It wasn't just words. I asked her, what's your favorite subject at school? She said, oh, it's morning devotions. And I said, oh, I didn't know that was a subject, but okay, what do you do in morning devotions? And she said, well, we worship in sign. And I said, what's that like? And she said, oh, I'd love to show you. And she jumped up in the middle of the interview and she began to dance mm. and sign in uh, worship in sign. And she looked so happy in the moment to do that. Yeah. And I was very moved by that. And yeah. then at the end of the interview, I said to her, look, thank you for your time. I would really like to pray for you. And she said, no, no. She said, I want to pray for you. And she did. And she prayed for me, and it was beautiful. I was so moved Mm. by this 13-year-old girl who'd come so far. Her life had been so transformed in one short year. Yeah, I think I'm beginning to understand why you were led to become involved in the ministry. I mean, that sounds very exciting. Some more stories? Oh, sure. Uh, Marcelino, mm-hmm. uh, he's a Filipino boy at one of our schools. He started uh, at the age of four, um, but the, the tragic thing with him was he was the first of nine brothers and sisters, nine boys and girls, mm-hmm. but he never knew that because when he was born and his parents realized he was deaf, they rejected him. They wanted to have nothing to do with him. So he was raised by his grandmother, and he was raised under the lie that he had no parents and no brothers and sisters. Hmm. The only saving grace was that his grandmother loved him and and sent him to the school. However, Hmm. about four years later, his grandmother died. He was taken in by an aunt who still did not tell him that he had parents and siblings. But she didn't have enough money to send him to the school. So again, he was pulled away from this community that was everything to him. Hmm. And his education was disrupted. 
in time, he found we were able to get a sponsor for him, and so he was able to return to the school. But uh, I can't remember the exact ages, but I think he returned to grade four at the age of, of 16, mm. and then sort of grade nine at the age of 24. And when I interviewed him, he was in year 12, but he was 29 years old. Oh, wow. But what really impressed me was his nature, his faith, uh, his hope for his life. But there was a, a, an interesting sort of turn towards the end because a few years ago, his aunt finally told him the truth mm-hmm. that he had he had parents and he had siblings. So he went looking for his his biological mother, and he turned up at the house unannounced. This is an extraordinary story. He turned up yeah. unannounced at the house, saw his father lying in a hammock, and lots of kids running around. And he went in, and somehow his mother recognized him, and the whole family came out. And they were they were just so happy to see him. They were hugging him and kissing him, and they were crying. And it was a beautiful mm. moment. And yeah. they asked him, please come and, and stay with us here at the house. He was so thrilled. You know, it's an orphan's dream. Yeah. My goodness, I do have parents, and I do have... Mm. Look at all these brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews I have. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So then I said, please come and stay. And he had to make a decision, but he decided, no, I'm going to come and keep visiting you, but my family, my community is back at the school, Hmm. and that's where he chose to be. And one of the final thing here is that he bears no grudge against his mother or his father. Hmm. He still loves them, and he he visits them. And I find that to be a kind of supernatural Mm -hmm. um, forgiveness and love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also part of the fruit of the work that that we're doing amongst the deaf Mm -hmm. uh, and seeing lives transformed. And finally, let's hear your story. How did you come to the position that you are today? That was a little bit embarrassing for me. Oh, yeah? I was, I was coming to the end of my term as the pastor of the church uh, because I was called back to Australia, but I didn't know why. I just knew my kids had grown up, and it was time for us to move back. We knew that, mm-hmm. but didn't know what God was calling me to. I was praying about it every day, and like a, just a bolt out of the blue, which sounds a bit strange because I had been involved with DMI for a long time, but I'd never considered actually, you know, employment with with DMI or Mm -hmm. becoming more involved. And I felt the Lord put on my heart very clearly, I want you to work for DMI. And it was one of those things where you sort of sit bolt upright and think, my goodness, this is really, really deep, uh, very strong message. Mm. But it wasn't just a word of you should work for DMI. It was actually a whole vision of what I should be doing with DMI, which I wrote down a sort of full page of how I felt I was being called to to serve with DMI. Once I'd written it all down, I felt very embarrassed. What do I do with this? I call up Neville and I say, hey, get Neville. Guess what God told me? You know, I'm going to work for you. And Neville says, well, he didn't tell me. (laughs) I felt very (laughs) awkward. I didn't know if I'd be stepping on toes or just way out of, you know. Yeah, well, um, it could have been very awkward. If uh, things didn't go right. And uh, I didn't know what to do with Mm -hmm. it. Uh, So I called up the head of the chair of the board in Japan and told her what I felt God had laid on my heart and how awkward I felt having written all this out. But I still felt very convicted that this was where God wanted me to go. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, look, you know, Neville, he's so approachable. Just just call him up. Just send it to him and have a chat with him, which is what I did. So I I emailed him uh, and sent him this whole... Um, vision of what I saw myself doing with DMI. 
uh, with apologies. I said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm probably causing a lot of trouble with this, but this is just want to share what God's, where I feel God's leading me. Hmm. I have Neville to apply to this day. It's just beautiful. He wrote back and he said, Andrew, he said, this is the exact prayer that you know we've been praying. It answered a hmm. prayer that we've been praying for the last few weeks in the office. We've been talking about this, the need for these things. Um, he said, I, I'm breathless with excitement. Thank you so much for writing this. So now there's a little bit more, you know, between then and now, but uh, long story short, um, about a year ago, I was brought on as national coordinator, and then about six months ago, I was uh, asked to take on the role of international coordinator. Wow. So, yeah, like you said, a bit of a risk, but the Lord was in it, obviously. He, he was. It was It was a beautiful confirmation of, um, you know, sometimes we, we have a conviction and we're sure it's right, but... It, you know, maybe it's just our own passion or our own desires. And I was aware that that could be the case, but to get Neville's confirmation like that and to see it all unfold in God's good timing yeah. has been very encouraging and very rewarding. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Well, that was Andrew Miller, who's the International Operations Coordinator for Deaf Ministries International. And before that, we heard from Rhonda Stockbridge, who has been ministering to deaf people for several years. Once again, if you'd like to learn more about the various types of ministry work that DMI is doing in several countries, their website is deafmin.org. That's deaf, D-E-A-F, min, M-I-N, dot org, deafmin.org. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this two-part series focusing on Duff Ministries International. Until next time, I'm Eric Scadabo. So long, and God bless. You've been listening to Real Faith, and if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.